It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Friday night. Wasn't actually expecting this, Ryan. Uh, a Friday night show. I thought, you know, maybe we'll hear something from Emmanuel Sanders today, which we did. Great 30-minute press conference. We'll get a little bit into that later on. But I thought, you know, be a little bit ho-hum. Based off of Brandon Bean's comments yesterday, it was kind of like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what trickles out over the next week or so. And all of a sudden, Mid-afternoon, the news pops that the Bills uh, have secured uh, another tight end, Jacob Hollister, uh, former Seattle Seahawk, New England Patriot, uh, way down on everybody's tight ends rankings, I would imagine. Uh, but a tight end all the same, an interesting one. It's not Zach Ertz, and we'll talk about where that deal might stand now, but this is the Bills uh, Shout Football Podcast uh, brought to you by Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. I'm your host, Matt Perino. He's my uh, tag team partner, Ryan Talbot. And Ryan, Jacob Hollister, you put out a story uh, pretty shortly after the news. A couple things to know about him. Impressions. Yeah, impressions is a signing that makes sense. This does not mean that the Bills are done at tight end. They could still draft someone. They could still add another free agent via trade or free agency. But you need, you know, three, four tight ends on your roster, five at least and when on the 90 man in terms of going into the season. And Hollister makes a lot of sense. He was a teammate of Josh Allen's at Wyoming. His best season at Wyoming came in 2016 with Josh Allen as his quarterback. Uh, he's someone that stretched the field at Wyoming. So he, he gives the Bills that option here as well. There's a lot to like about him. And I know he's not Zach Ertz and I know he's not. Hunter Henry, Johnu Smith, some of the tight ends that I know a lot of the Bills fans were hoping would, would land one of those uh, before the start of free agency. But this team is pretty well-rounded. This team is pretty stacked at wide receiver. They they have no shortage of weapons. So uh, I, I'm intrigued by the signing, to say the least, and I, I think that there's some high upside there. Yeah, I know everybody was getting really hyped up about Zach Ertz. And listen, anytime you could add a former first-team All-Pro selection to the roster, it's intriguing. But, you know, after the news broke and some of the reactions started to come in, I, I kind of tried to put out a little, you know, uh, tweet that'll calm everybody down a little bit. Don't forget what the strength of this team was last year. And it was the passing game. And they did it pretty well. And it was pretty focused on the wide receiving core. A lot of the targets going to Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. Now you add in a seasoned veteran who I think is an upgrade over John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders. And we're talking about a lion's share of the targets going to that group. And oh, by the way, don't forget about Gabriel Davis. So I think that this is a vote of confidence in a way in Dawson Knox. Now, of course, it's easy to sit here back and say, well, they didn't want to give up too much for Zach Ertz. They don't have a lot of cap space. How much of, of a vote of confidence is this? But I do think it is at least a modest one because we heard from Brandon Bean yesterday. He said that expectations are high for Dawson Knox this year. So I think the expectation is, hey, let's give this guy another shot. We've been developing him. We like what we see. And you add a guy in Jacob Hollister into the mix, to your point, who can stretch the field. 
I was reading a little bit uh, out of Seattle uh, about him, uh, what they've seen out of him over the last two years. And the big thing that they keep coming back to is the route running ability, the ability to get separation in that second level, which for a guy like Russell Wilson, that's huge. And a guy like Josh Allen, that'll be huge. So maybe he can make some plays in this offense. Uh, they obviously had a connection back at Wyoming. I think it's a smart move. It's a calculated move. And one that I think we got to kind of reserve judgment for to see how he kind of gets himself acquainted into this offense and back with Josh Allen. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, you know, the one thing I'll say is it seems like Brandon Bean, uh, Brian Dibble, I think number one on their list of, of potential free agents is route running, and you mentioned it. When they trade for Stefan Diggs, you you added an elite route runner. Cole Beasley, elite route runner. Uh, when they had John Brown when he was healthy, his route running was a lot better than a lot of people perceived. They thought he was a deep threat when they first had him. Emmanuel Sanders, outstanding route runner. So they have a tremendous one through three route run uh, and wide receivers. And in terms of route running, Gabriel Davis showed that he was pretty solid in that area. And now you had Hollister who you just said, Seattle mentioned his route running. That is so important. It seems like to this offense. And, it, and if he does bring that to the table, this could be one of those signings that flies under the radar and, and pays big dividends for the bills in 2021. And you also mentioned like, you know, the Ertz deal isn't off the table. I think that this could be something where, you know, the bills kind of, you know, call the Eagles bluff. If, if Howie Roseman thinks that Zach Ertz is worth a certain amount and he's going to hold out and try to get it and willing to take him into the season, good luck to you in your season. If I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm Brandon Bean, I'll wait till maybe things go south and you have to release him. He's obviously a veteran guy could probably come into the offense at any given time and contribute. So this is just, I think uh, a situation where it makes more sense, you know, to, go with a guy that maybe has some traits that you like that you think can fit into the room from a, you know, a personality perspective, obviously great Intel with Josh. I mean, we were listening to Brandon Bean talk yesterday and one of the nuggets that he gave out is that Josh Allen has reached the point in his career. Sean McDermott talked about it too, where they kind of consult him on moves. And, you know, if they're targeting somebody, maybe they ask Josh Allen's opinion of him and, you know, what he sees on tape, if they're, if they're breaking it down and studying it. So he obviously knows Jacob Hollister pretty well. Uh, he seems to like the move. He he retweeted it. So this is a move that I think sets up the Bills to you know take care of the position to a degree, and then set yourself up that if you still want to make a big move, if there's a big move to be made, you know you can do that down the stretch. The big thing about this Ryan right now is the salary cap situation is not great, and we really don't even know the details of it at, at this point. The Bills. If you go to spottrack.com, they're working with about a million worth of salary cap space. Well, that's not necessarily accurate because we don't know what the restructure was for Tyler Medikavich. Could be anywhere from two million to maybe even two and a half million, uh, somewhere in that one to two and a half million dollar range. But even with that, you still got to account for the cap hit of Mitchell Trubisky, Jacob Hollister, and John Feliciano. So that those details still aren't out. He could be anywhere from a you know two and a half to four million dollar cap it, depending on how that thing was structured. So I very much assume uh, another move coming in terms of a, a big time restructure. I know Brandon Bean wants to avoid that at all costs, but we're talking about getting to a place where you can add bottom of the roster guys at this point and your draft class. You're going to need to make a move. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in terms of talent, first of all, first and foremost, there's still so much talent out there in free agency right now. And you're starting to see guys go on those one year deals with a pretty low uh, salary. So you need to fill in your roster with depth players. If you can add depth players that can actually 
maybe fight for a starting role or be a major contributor in terms of depth, by all means, go and do it. And, and you're right. He doesn't want to restructure. He doesn't want to have to worry about these contracts coming back and biting him down the road. But he has some safe options. A Tredavious White, a Deion Dawkins, two guys that just signed monster deals, two guys that you feel confident will play out the duration of their deals. You're not going to worry about having to cut them early, trade them, anything like that. So one or two, uh, one or both of them could be in play for restructuring those deals to open up some money here in 2021 to add those depth, pe- depth pieces, but also, you know, maybe to have some some money stowed away in case another big player gets released here in these next few weeks. There are players with options coming up, but tomorrow, for instance, there's a few players that could get caught because of that. Uh, it looks like the Bears are trying to trade Kyle Fuller right now, but there was talk about him being released. Uh, premier cornerback number two. So th- there's going to be players that keep getting cut on these teams, and it wouldn't hurt to have some money stowed away to be like, okay, if, if a player at X position becomes available, uh, let's let's pursue that. And then one last thing on the tight end. You know what's interesting is we've been talking about Zach Ertz this whole time, and, and Ben Albright did report that the Bills ha- had looked into him, so that is as solid of a report as there can be. But Cynthia Freeland of the NFL Network was dropping all these mysterious cryptic tweets uh, and everyone assumed it was Zach Ertz. But then she came out today and said, oh, no, uh, some someone else. Here's a giant clue. Giant, obviously, New York Giants. So I had fans thinking either uh, Evan Ingram or Kyle Rudolph, who signed with them as a free agent. Uh, and both were... Uh, possible but about five hours ago she said something along the lines of she was still waiting for the news so that makes me think it couldn't have been Rudolph because he had already agreed to terms with the Giants maybe Evan Ingram was available for a little period of time and the Bills looked into it and and it was in play and he got pulled off so maybe the Bills even go back to Ingram at some point if that is who she is hinting at it's really interesting because it does sound like they've been doing some some due diligence on these tight ends that uh, could have been available via trade yeah, and I see, I see somebody um, asking in the comments what's going on with Tommy uh, Sweeney. I, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be very much in the mix. It seemed like Brandon Bean said yesterday that it's going to be – he's looking forward to getting himself back in. Uh, it looks like signs are pointing in a good direction for him to get back in the mix. And I liked what I, what I saw out of him. We talked a lot about him over the years here um, in his rookie season. So he's a guy that I think will push for that tight end two role now with Lee Smith and Tyler Croft. Out of this situation, Tyler Croft signing a one-year deal with the New York Jets. You know, I I wonder, and this isn't anything that I've heard or even know, but I, you know, it's always curious when a when a player takes a deal, a free agent deal, and goes to another team in the division. I'm wondering how much of the way that this season played out affected or you know made Tyler Croft feel a certain type of way because you know I think he came in, he made a couple plays early in the season, and you know, he was a healthy scratch for a lot of games there. And they obviously went back to Lee Smith. And I'm wondering how much he felt like underutilized. And if this isn't maybe just a uh, a chance to play the Bills twice a year and, and prove that maybe they made a mistake in not giving him a larger role. I, I think he was what I thought he'd be when they signed him in these in this two-year stretch. But maybe he felt like he could have done more. Yeah, two two year, uh, two games per year, there'll be the uh, revenge games. And then one last thing on Sweeney, I didn't know if the person was asking in terms of the heart uh, issues because of, of COVID. Uh, we don't know about that stuff. The team obviously doesn't come out and share that. We're, we're hoping for all the best. But the, based on like what Matt said, what we've heard, there's high expectations that he can come in and compete this year for tight end two. Uh, people forget that he was a very good blocker, so he could have that Lee Smith role. 
Uh, but he obviously has more versatility in terms of also being a pass catcher in this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, other news on the day, um, Isaiah McKenzie apparently drawing some interest from the Chicago Bears, which is interesting because you know I think a lot of Bills fans are still kind of holding out hope that something can be done and some room can be made to get him back under contract in some type of way because that is definitely a piece of this offense. You know, you look at his production and you know couple hundred yards, five touchdowns, you know, they used them in that gadget role and you, you probably figure you can replace that, but th- that was, there was a lot of institutional knowledge in that, in that spot. And I think Isaiah McKenzie really grew into his role alongside uh, a lot of the same players that were in the mix here, learning under Cole Beasley, spending time with Chad Hall and Brian Dable. So I don't think it's as easy as, oh, they'll address uh, Isaiah McKenzie's replacement in the draft. I mean, it's going to be a loss to not have him in the mix. Uh, he's the once, you know, borderline starter, and I, I I like to consider him a starter just because he was he was out there for a good chunk of the plays every week. Um, if he goes to Chicago or whatever other team ends up having interest in him, and he should have interest in, from multiple teams by the end of this, they're going to miss him. Yeah, uh, you know, here's the thing about Isaiah McKenzie and why resigning him might make more sense now than ever. You mentioned there's there's players in this year's draft that you can you can sign that could be a gadget player, but you you don't know how those players are going to come about and how they're going to develop. One of those players last year was Lynn Bowden Jr., who the Raiders uh, selected early in the draft and then they traded before the season even began to the Dolphins. They gave up on a guy before mm-hmm. the season even began, and he, and he had right. some moments there in Miami. Uh, but there's no you know there's no guarantee. You might think okay this guy can be our Swiss Army knife on offense. He might be able to handle returns. Uh, but it's not a guarantee. With Isaiah McKenzie, you know you're getting a gadget player that can handle the end arounds. He's key, and just in general, in terms of the motion, in terms of letting uh, Josh Allen know what opposing defenses are in when he goes back and forth and mm-hmm. gets the keeps the defenses honest. You know that he is a solid backup behind Cole Beasley. And now that you have Andre Roberts uh, in Houston, you don't have that kick returner, punt returner, and he showed that he can handle at least one of those roles based on Week 17. Uh, scoring the return touchdown. So uh, I think that there's a lot of roles for him on this team if the Bills want to bring him back. I think they want to bring him back, but it might come down to, you know, the Bills are going to offer maybe one, 1. 1.5, uh, something or something maybe similar to what they were able to get um, Levi Wallace at 1.75, somewhere in that range. And then maybe if the Bears are out there offering significantly more to something, three something, you know, he has to make that decision. Do I want to come back to the Bills where I can, yeah, compete for a Super Bowl possibly? Or do I want to look out for the best interests of my career? Because every year in the NFL is not given. And get that little minor pay raise. And mind you, $3 million is no minor pay raise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll sign up for that any day. But it's those are the tough decisions in free agency because I'm sure there's some teams that don't want to go to a losing franchise. But when they're offering you that much money, how do you say no? Yeah, and the the tough part about this too, if you're Isaiah McKenzie or anybody in that kind of undrafted free agent, worked your way up to uh, you know a free agency type of situation that he finds himself in with some interest outside of the organization that you play for is if you make the wrong pick and the deal that you're probably going to get isn't going to be a multiple year deal. You might get a two or three year deal, but they're probably going to structure it you know with a with an out after a year. If you don't go to a situation where they put you in the right position to be successful and you're not successful, you're going to be right back where you started trying to maybe, you know, ha- catch on to a practice squad. And now Isaiah McKenzie's talented. I, 
wherever he ends up, I think he might be situational proof. I think he has a chance to really make plays wherever he goes. But I think part of what made him so good here and so effective is that Brian Dable really grew to understand what he can do and set him up in the offense to be successful. Yeah, it, Brian Dable knows how to utilize him. He knows that skill set. There was a post at the end of the season, do you want to return to Buffalo? And it showed him hugging Chad Hall. Uh, so he obviously thinks very highly of Buffalo's wide receivers coach. There's something to be said about going to somewhere where you're comfortable, where you know that you have a role albeit some weeks he would not be a, a big part of that game plan. After his breakout performance in week 17 against the Dolphins, we, we it didn't feel like we saw him much in the playoffs whatsoever. Right. Um, so that's probably a tough part too. That's the pill to swallow. Do I want to go somewhere where I have a role, but I don't know on a week-by-week -week basis how much I'll be utilized? Do I want to go somewhere where I can uh, play immediately? But there's all those unknowns that you mentioned where Maybe I'm not a scheme fit. Maybe I'm not going to get utilized correctly. Maybe I don't last the season here and I'm back to square one. So a, a lot of decisions to be made for players like Isaiah McKenzie. And unfortunately for him, not that, that he isn't going to sign anytime soon. There are still some wide receivers in terms of overall play performance that are ahead of him out there in free agency. So he might have to wait even longer if he's looking to get uh, a pay raise from somewhere else or, or a higher offer from another team besides the Bears. We heard from Emmanuel Sanders today, two days after officially signing, makes his introductory uh, press conference appearance and was really riveting. I mean, I thought he was insightful. I enjoyed the conversation, uh, got to ask him a couple questions, and he was really forthcoming uh, about every. And listen, that's usually the case for guys that have been in the league for as long as he is entering his 12th season. Uh, he's been through multiple situations. He's played with Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. Um Ben Roethlisberger and you know he talked a little bit about you know his past experiences today and what he's expecting in year one with the Bills and I I think it's good good insight I'm writing about it for tomorrow for the site and one of my big takeaways is the the Bills culture slash model again in place and taking effect guy signs with the team he's already talked to Josh Allen gotten to know him a little bit. He's already talked to Cole Beasley. There's a connection there. They played at SMU today, together. He was on a 60-minute FaceTime call with Brian Dable, who, if you don't know this already, Brian Dable is like this crazy FaceTimer. He doesn't text. He doesn't call. He FaceTimes you. He wants to actually see your facial expressions. And we've talked to him about it a couple times this past year. Uh, it's so funny because seeing him walking around the facility before COVID and stuff like that, you would never think that. You would probably think he would just be a texter. He was kind of, you know, he's he 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 talks in his press conferences, but he's kind of to the point. But 60-minute conversation with Emmanuel Sanders. They talked about life and got to know each other for the first 40. And then the last 20, they started to talk ball. And Sanders came away from that exchange excited because of all the possibilities that he can possibly now be used in this offense. He mentioned specifically how impressed he was with the depth of Brian Dable's play call or playbook and scheme because what he's what he thinks is so crazy is you get to a certain point in your route and route running is obviously so key. We we covered that. You mentioned it earlier about Hollister, but he said the options at the end of most regular routes in the Bills offense 
he's he thinks it's limitless the opportunities that he has in this offense he's a guy that likes to create i think that's kind of his calling card going back to his days in denver that kind of second part of the play where i think that he does a really good job the run after catch which i don't think that was there with john brown he seems like he's already fitting in and a guy that's going to be a real culture fine for the bills yeah, first and foremost, I think we all need a, a FaceTime call from Brian Dable. He just seems to have that magic touch on players. Like whenever he calls them, he he wins them over immediately. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders today said, I, I already love this dude. They, they had a great conversation. Last year we heard about Allen having the, the FaceTime calls and, and other players too. And it seems to have that effect on other players as well because when Feliciano resigned, he kind of did the FaceTime tag with Josh Allen hanging up on him. So it has, it's this weird trickle-down effect, and it's all about building relationships in Buffalo, and that's a great first step, just a simple FaceTime for an hour where you're talking about life most of the time, then a little bit of football. But but in terms of Emmanuel Sanders, yeah, he's gonna, he seems like he's going to be a great fit already. Uh, he wants to bring a championship to Buffalo. We talked about how uh, conversations with Cole Beasley, I believe it was Beasley, that said they've never won a championship here and how important it would be. Uh, just the looks on their faces if they win one, and that's his goal now. Uh, he, he fits from the culture perspective. There's a reason the Bills were after this guy for consecutive seasons. They tried to trade for him. They tried to sign him last year. Now they finally get their guy. They have a plan in place for him already. I have no doubt about that, and, and I'm interested to see where it goes. And if the Bills ever need an emergency cornerback, I think he could handle that role because what a backpedal today on blue cheese went from call. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all night. Uh, <laughs> went from just calling it was spoiled milk, something like that uh, or trash, something along those lines to trying it in Buffalo and absolutely loving it. So uh, definitely winning back some fans. If you, if you may have lost them over blue cheese there, but all around impressive performance by Emmanuel Sanders today. Yeah. And I think he's going to fit into this this room from a mindset perspective. He talked about like, you know, I think you probably roll your eyes after a while because they do talk about, you know, having a dog mentality and going into every game, putting it all on the line. I mean, this is the NFL. I think a lot of teams, you know, would, would, would claim the same thing. But when you're around guys that like generate that sort of internal competition, that's the part to me that I think might separate this group even more so than it did last year, because you, I go back to the little parts of practice we were able to see and the battles between Stefan Diggs and Tredavious white. He was asked about it today. Like, what's it going to be like to go up against Tredavious white in practice? He's like, Oh, I'm looking forward to it. And you know, it, it, the competitive juices already started to flow out. And then he kind of like, you know, recovered, realized where he was at for a second. And, you know, basically said, like, I go back to some of the battles that I've had in, in different places over the course of my career in Denver and Pittsburgh. And, um, in New Orleans, and I'm sure that he he went at Marshawn Lattimore last year, uh, and, and and iron sharpens iron. That's the saying. And I think these are these are great additions because, you know, John Brown is a great player, and I'm sure that those battles were, you know, fine. But he's not a guy that's going to be out there shouting and jawing. And you know, this is another guy. And I saw a comment here that uh, Sanders reminds me of Diggs Light in terms of his skill set. Well, I think he he also might be Diggs Light in terms of his mentality and his personality. Yeah, I think that a defensive or another wide receiver version of that because he loves the challenge that the defense presents to him. And even in San Francisco, I think Richard Sherman was there because that was the Super Bowl year. So you had Sherman mm -hmm. uh, going back to the Denver days. 
I don't the years kind of overlap, but there was Akib Talib there. Yeah, Tui mentioned. Yeah, okay. and Chris Harris. He said Chris too. Harris. Um, and I'm not sure if if he was there when AJ Boye was there, but that's when Boye had his best seasons was with Denver in around mm-hmm. 2016, 2017. So, uh, you know, that all depends. But he's clearly practiced against some of the best of the best in his career. He's that's going to continue here in Buffalo going against Trey White. Uh, he could even help, though, in terms of whoever that number two cornerback ends up being. It, it's going to benefit Dane Jackson to go against him in practice. It's going to benefit Taron Johnson, and it's going to benefit Levi Wallace. The list goes on and on. So this works both ways. Emmanuel Sanders is going to get better because of it, but so are a lot of these other cornerbacks on this roster. Not Bills related, but he was such he was kind of a popular name within Mills, Bills Mafia for a week or two there. Juju Smith-Schuster signed a one-year, $8 million deal to go back to Pittsburgh today. A little a bit eye-popping. I guess he had higher offers from the Ravens and the Chiefs. What was your reaction to that? Because I have some thoughts. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to unwrap this a few different ways. One, I don't know why you don't go to the Chiefs if the money is pretty much the same. Uh, Mahomes is there. Yeah, you might not be the featured part of the offense, but if winning is important, the money is all the same, I don't know why you don't choose that. Two, this shows that there is a big problem in Baltimore. Wide receivers don't want to go there. And I'm not blaming Lamar Jackson. I am, I'm actually blaming the offensive system. I'm blaming the offensive coordinator. I am, I'm blaming the fact that they don't pass enough. This is, it's a very simple, basic offense with the tight ends heavily involved, a lot of running, a lot of options. You're seeing some wide receivers supposedly in the mix. Now, Juju Smith-Schuster was a fine, you know, he was thinking about them. So you could say he was in their final three or they were in his final three. Uh, There was talk that Kenny Galladay was considering them, but it looks like he might be heading to the Giants. That's an issue. And that's a whole separate issue than just Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's taking a risk going back to Pittsburgh, even on a one-year deal, because you're looking to rebuild your stock. Ben Roethlisberger's arm looked shot as the year went on. He, the whole offense revolved around him with those quick hitting passes, not so much deep, not so much uh, what you used to see out of him. So you're taking a little bit of a risk there in terms of rebuilding your stock for 2022, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to stay too long on this. And I've been kind of hard on Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I'm, I've just been underwhelmed with what he's been able to produce post Antonio Brown. Mm. And in a lot of ways, like I know this is crazy to say because – Zay Jones has not been very good since he left Buffalo. But if you take Zay Jones's production that that year, that first year of Josh Allen, and put it up against you know per game averages against what Juju has done since Antonio Brown left, they're pretty similar. I mean, they're kind of pretty similar guys in what they do, how they win. I, they're a little bit differently. You know, they they've done, especially Juju's big season was obviously huge. But listen, I just think to me it tells me that. He knows he could probably go back to Pittsburgh and replicate what he did last season and then try to hit the market when there's more money. I think going to a Chiefs or even a Ravens and not performing and being that elite upgrade in Baltimore or you know produce better stats in Kansas City playing with Tyreek Hill, if he doesn't do that, it's a huge flop. And I think that he's the, the narrative on him changes. So I think it was kind of a you know a soft move, whatever. Uh, but he's not a Bills player, so we'll move on. There's a question in here that I wanted to uh, get on. Um, We'll hit the run game before we get out of here. But Jay brought up over on Facebook about the interior of the defensive line and and trying to upgrade there. And it's crazy because, you know, we saw earlier in the week, uh, Danielle Hunter from Minnesota wants to be traded. Um, 
a lot of big time premier interior defensive linemen are hitting the market. Uh, Akeem Hicks from uh, Chicago uh, is going to be released. It seems they might look for a trade. Uh, Geno Atkins from Cincinnati. Uh, we already know the Kawan shorts on the market. Ryan, listen, if I'm Brandon Bean and I'm, I'm doing all this work to, to rearrange things and you know, you look at Jadavian Clowney and Carlos Dunlap and you say, yeah, okay. What about maybe changing gears here and maybe going after one of these potentially premier interior players, even though you have some depth there. And I know that they like Justin Zimmer and I know that they have Ed Oliver and Harrison Phillips and Starla Tulele is coming back and they uh, restructured Vernon Butler. They have bodies there, but uh, sometimes I wonder, man, if you think you can make the biggest splash there, start there. And hopefully the edge rushers will, you know, maybe improve the guys that you already have on the, ro- on the roster. Well, sure. And if you can collapse the pocket from the inside, that makes life easier for the edge rushers because then the quarterback's running right at you mm-hmm. uh, nine times out of 10. So that helps Mario Edison. That helps Jerry Hughes and AJ Epinesa. Uh, you mentioned the name, Geno Atkins. He is who I would target first and foremost. Uh, I think you can get him at a an agreeable rate. I'm not saying he's going to be a one-year, $2 million type deal, uh, but I think that he has a lot of the traits of what they're hoping to get out of Ed Oliver over the course of his career from a pass rush perspective, from a guy that can uh, just has that motor that doesn't stop. I, I would really like to see Atkins come in here, rotate with with Ed Oliver, uh, have Ed Oliver learn from him. I, I think that would be very beneficial to Buffalo's former first round pick, top 10 pick at that in terms of helping mold and, and round out his game. Um, very good. Uh, we have a question here too about the Bills running game. Do you upgrade? Do you try to upgrade this offseason or do you keep grooming the talent that's on hand? And I mean, I think if you can find somebody that fits what you want to do, that's a significant upgrade. And who's to say that if you add somebody, you're you're not beholden to move on from you know Devin and, and Zach Moss who are on rookie deals. I mean they can hang around. You can maybe get to training camp, see how things shake out, and maybe try to move on for a day three pick in 2022. You, you don't have to – I think you want to give yourself yourself options because I don't think we know we have the full story on either of those players yet. So I'm perfectly happy if I'm a Bills fan or if I'm the if I'm Brandon Bean adding somebody to the competition. Uh, Philip Lindsay's out there. Um you know, there's a whole bunch of running back names. I know Leonard Fournette's a guy that gets brought up a lot. I'm not necessarily sure that's the way that I'd go. I'd, I'd probably want to go the speed route because I think you want, realistically, you probably want Zach Moss to be that physical runner. And so I would go that speed dynamic and then just see where the chips fall uh, once training camp and preseason comes around. Yeah, I love the username. Haters keep hating too, by the way. Nice username <laughs> there from the question. Uh I'm I'm indifferent to the running back room right now in terms of if they keep it the same, I'm okay with it. If they add someone, I'm okay with it. I actually like Antonio Williams's fit in this offense, and I know I'm not sure what kind of chances he would actually get when you have two second or day two picks on your roster ahead of him. But I feel like he he fits the blocking scheme in terms of what his skill set is as a runner very well. Uh, cover one, I think, had something really good about that and how he he fits that system. Uh, might have just been a tweet. It might have been a post. It, everything kind of mm-hmm. blurs together. Uh, you, you know, Devin Singletary as a rookie, led, tied for the league lead in yard per carry average. Zach Moss had some real flashes despite uh, a lack of opportunities at times, despite some injuries. But Philip Lindsay would be a great addition. You know, he has a little bit of that speed. He would have that big chip on his shoulder, came into the league undrafted, had a great 
you know, run with the Broncos early in his career. And then they kind of gave up on him. They, they signed Melvin Gordon to a, a big deal. Uh, and then he started to get phased out to now to the point where he's cut. So those are the players that the Bills like, the guys that want to kind of prove themselves a little bit. Someone that comes in here motivated, uh, knowing that the job is not going to be handed to them. So I would not be shocked whatsoever if Philip Lindsay ended up being on their uh, signing list at some point. But again, as people have mentioned here in the chat, there's not a lot of money to be left to be had right now until they make one of those restructure moves or do something to free up some cash. So the bills are going to be uh, have to be pretty cautious, I guess, about their next signing and, until they, they open up some of that money. I think Diggs is the easiest one to do because you want to extend him and get him more mm -hmm. money anyway. So I think that that one could potentially, because of his cap hit, I think it's the second highest on the team this year. You bring that down by say seven or eight million, and it's a whole new ball game with what you can do. Because I think you start talking to listen, a lot of dollars have been spent already. So when we get to this stage of talking to you know potential free agents that are coming, like a guy like Kyle Fuller, if they can't trade him, the market for him is going to be really rough. And, you know, to an earlier question about some of the interior defensive linemen, if they add one, what does that do for Ed Oliver? I don't think it does anything to Ed Oliver, Ryan. I think anything that they bring in is just gravy. I still think Ed Oliver is going to start. I think he's going to have every opportunity to be the guy that they drafted him to be. I think it's just an extra kick in the butt. And also it could help, help him in development. I mean, listen, the problem for Ed Oliver is he's, he's, he's a very rare talent at that spot. Like he is undersized for that three tech pass rushing defensive. I mean, really for an interior defensive lineman, he's going to be on the lower end of the spectrum weight wise and size wise. So if you're talking to guys that have been successful in that kind of role at a high end level, you know, they, there's not a lot of examples out there. So uh, the, my heater is trying to kick us <laughs> off here uh, and we'll wrap up in a minute, but your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think a kick in the butt for Ed Oliver, some competition, though, is also a good thing. You know, you saw what happened in his rookie year with Jordan Phillips, and at one point he was benched, you know, quote-unquote. He was still playing, but uh, Jordan Phillips was in the starting lineup. He was getting a fair amount of snaps. He was performing well. Uh, it kind of motivated Ed Oliver, brought him on late in the season. You remember the Thanksgiving Day game against uh, Dallas where he had a big game. So maybe that's what he needs. Maybe it's a little bit of that iron sharpening iron, someone that could really push him just for a year. I mean, sign one of these veterans to a one-year deal, nothing that's going to be a long-term competition, but try to get the best out of Ed Oliver. Try to get someone in here that can he can learn from, but also you know, kind of get the best out of him right away. You're muted, Matt. Yeah, I muted my mic <laughs> just because the heater is going off in the background. Oh. I don't want to get to give too much uh, background noise. No, I mean, we, we covered pretty much everything that we wanted to get into. So, you know, a little lazy uh, Friday afternoon, uh, some Bills news and notes, and you know, probably a lot of people diving into the night uh, selection of NCAA tournament games. We will be back with anything that drops in the next couple of days. If it's big enough, if it warrants it, we will be back and live and some of these are going to be short and sweet, and some of them will be a little bit longer. If there's anything else you want us to cover, like I said last time, always hit us up in the DMs. If you're on YouTube watching right now, hit that like button on this video. It really helps us out. Hit that subscribe button if you're not already. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Apple specifically, give us that uh, subscription and then uh, the, the five-star review. That really helps. We're so appreciative of you guys. We've been grinding this week. I, I got a couple messages like, "Thanks for all the content." We're having a ball doing it. This is, you know, this is the this is one of the funnest times of year, Ryan. 
I, I agree. This time of year, NFL draft, you know, those are two of my favorite times of year, even when the Bills are great, which they are right now. Uh, we're not talking about top 10 picks or, or uh, moving up to get a franchise quarterback anymore, but the, this time of year is still really exciting, as is the draft. So this is a great time to be a Bills fan and to be a football fan in general. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Shop Buffalo Bills football podcast. For Ryan, I'm Matt. We will see you very soon. Have a great weekend, everyone.